The following program is an MLWRadio.com production. Hey, Tommy Young. You come over here, you save me on my mortgage. It's a little different than last week, but First Family Mortgage is still here and ready to help you save some cash. No payments for two months. Really think about that. It's your single biggest bill, and you get to pocket all that cash for two months. Just an extra added benefit of saving money with First Family. And specifically, we're talking about getting out of debt faster. You know, in our real life, we hear people talk about, hey, I've got four car payments left, and then I own this baby free and clear. How many house payments do you have left? If you don't know the answer, you haven't done enough planning, First Family can help you get out of debt faster and with cheaper monthly payments. Maybe you've got a second mortgage. Don't get stuck with a home equity line of credit. You're probably paying interest only and headed for a balloon payment. And maybe you've got credit card debt. Man, get rid of the minimum payments. Spend 10 minutes with us and get rid of all that credit card debt once and for all. But most importantly, cut years off of your loan. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this, but you do need to spend 10 minutes on the phone with us right now at 888-425-0105 or online at savewithbruce.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Welcome to WHW Monday, Tony Schiavone. And Conrad Thompson talking about the great years of World Championship Wrestling, the NWA, and Jim Crockett Promotions. And now, let's go to the ring. And here's your co-host. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to What Happened When? Monday, right here on the MLW Radio Network. And the man of the hour is with us, Mr. Tony Schiavone. Tony, what's going on, man? How are you? Conrad, hello. How you doing, bud? Hello, slapdicks all around the world. It was good seeing everybody this past weekend at Icons of Wrestling in Philadelphia. You know, Conrad, a lot of guys wearing our shirts. Well, I like the sound of that, and I think uh, Mrs. Shivani does too. Roll Tide. Yeah, I think she does too, so we're all pretty excited about it. Um, we've had a good week, and uh, it, it's great as we move into the fall season uh, to, to start talk, getting ready to move into the fall season, start talking about... Uh, some of the things that happened during WCW during the fall time of year. And uh, I'm just excited to be with you again. Overall, Conrad, I'm just damn excited. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm excited to talk about this week, too. We've got a pretty controversial topic. It's Hogwild 1996. Let's get right into it. Let's talk about the decision to run this show. Uh, Tony, to me, so much of this seems like a bad decision on paper. For one, it's in the middle of nowhere, so travel is expensive. Secondly, it's outdoors, so you've always got to wonder about the weather. Third, it's on a Saturday, and we've conditioned our audience that pay-per-views are on Sunday. And lastly, well, it's fucking free. Pay-per-view is actually free if drunk for a show like this. So we're going to go through all of that, and and I feel like I should mention this is actually the second outdoor free pay-per-view that WCW ran. Uh, the prior was the 1995 bash at the beach, uh, right there at Huntington beach, California. Meltzer has went on record as saying that that show was a total fiasco live and among the worst pay-per-views of all time. Before we talk about hog wild 96, uh, how did you think bash at the beach? 95 was Tony, you were there. 
Well, uh, yeah, I was there. Uh, it wasn't a good pay-per-view. Uh, was Dave Meltzer there live? Did he come from Campbell, California, wherever he's from, uh, to, to see it live, to know I, that it was a fiasco? I don't know, but you're disagreeing with that? You take issue with the comment that it was a fiasco? Well, it was, it was different. It was, uh, but it had, I thought it had a pretty good feel to it. And, and again, we're kind of, the announcers were kind of over to the right, so we didn't have anything to do with the setup. The setup could have been a fiasco being outside of the beach. Uh, some of the fans could have been unruly. I wasn't in security. Uh, so I can't address that. So I just don't know how somebody can comment that the live event was a fiasco. It wasn't that good of a pay-per-view. I understand that, but I thought it had a pretty good look to it. Well, yeah. And so we're going to talk a lot about the look of the show, but before we, we do, let's, let's just ask this. Do you consider bash at the beach 95 a success? Well, I don't know. What was the buy rate? Okay. I, I meant for just from the live experiment of the yeah, pay-per-view. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. How do you think that that outdoor beach environment was different from the Sturgis atmosphere? Clearly two totally different backdrops, but a similar concept in that we're doing an outdoor show and we're doing it for maybe non-wrestling fans and we're doing it free. Uh, how would you classify that beach show compared to the Sturgis shows? Well, you, you've got to classify based on the clientele, right? You're, you're at Sturgis and you're at this big, uh, biker fest. So you got bikers now, listen, bikers and not all bikers at a biker fest are the tough guy bikers. Sure. You know, there, I mean, Eric Bischoff of, was there. Yeah, right. There, there are guys who like to bike on the weekend and they make Sturgis one of their destinations. And in California, you got a different clientele or a different crowd because you got the beach goers. Huntington beach is a pretty big beach and, uh, California surfers, those type of dudes. So it, it was much different. Uh, but it's similar in that you had to put a wrestling event and it had to put an arena, so to speak, or a ring in a place that wasn't conducive to having, having a wrestling ring. Uh, Tony, were any of the, the dudes that you ran into at that beach show, did you find any that were dynamic? No, I did not. And I didn't find anyone that was on a skateboard or, or anybody, uh, anything like that. But I did see a bunch of dudes uh, when I was in Huntington Beach. Let's talk a bunch about of dudes. Let's talk about a lot of dudes at Sturgis. I've always wondered why Sturgis, and yeah. it's really difficult to put my finger on. Let's take a look at what other people have said. Kevin Sullivan once said this happened because Bischoff bought a house in Wyoming and just fell in love with this part of the country, and he had become a bit of a Harley guy. So he used this ride to bond with the guys and just basically set up a fun event for himself and his friends. Would you agree yes. that that played a big part in the decision to do this? Uh, I, I wasn't, I know Eric moved to Wyoming, uh, and, uh, bought a house in Wyoming. Uh, and I do know that he fell in, in, in love with the country. I thought it was because he was a biker enthusiast. Right. Uh, and, and I, uh, that had everything to do with this. Kevin Nash um, said something like, um, only 11 guys rode bikes, including the boss. And I think that's a direct quote. And they were all about making this quote unquote pilgrimage to Sturgis. Um, so again, that kind of reinforces the narrative of, Hey, here's a biker rally that Bischoff wants to go to and throw a big party. And yes, maybe it does make a cool visual, but I guess the question I'm trying to drive to here is. Would a show like this ever happen in the WWF, in your opinion, Tony? No, no, it would not have. Would Vince it McMahon have. have run a pay-per-view show with all the expense that a pay-per-view entails 
without even trying to generate revenue at the gate? No, he would not have done that. I don't think he would have done that. The, I don't ever see, I never would have seen Vince going to Huntington beach. I never, never would have seen Vince go to, uh, South Padre Island. I never would have seen Vince going to Panama beach, uh, nor to Sturgis. And, and again, th- this, this feels like a decision. And we've said this a lot here on the program about WCW. This feels like a decision that would never be made by someone footing the bill. I don't say that to disparage Bischoff because I feel like he was making decisions that he felt Turner would like. But again, if this was Eric Bischoff's actual cash on the line, would it have happened? I say not a chance. That's my guess. What say you, Tony? I agree. And this is the, the underlying bottom line of why Vince succeeded and we didn't. It was Vince's money. And when it's your own money, you approach it differently. You know that as, as well as anybody else. Do you know if Bischoff negotiated some sort of incentive for bringing the event to Sturgis these days, it's pretty common for a town to like bid on WrestleMania and the WWE actually gets a check from the city for bringing the show there. Do you know if something like that took place here? Obviously not to the WrestleMania level. This is 96 in WCW and it's Sturgis, but there's probably something on, on the, some sort of meat on the bone for WCW, right? Uh, well, I, w- would it have been, I, I, I don't know for a fact had it been or not. I was never in any of those negotiations to bring it, uh, to Sturgis, but does Sturgis really need this event? Well, Sturgis, you know, it, it, Sturgis has been a destination for bikers. It always was well, uh, it was well populated, uh, well attended even without us. Uh, so I, I'm not so sure that that Sturgis really needed us in fairness. You know, you guys did feature it pretty prominently on your television for the buildup for the pay-per-view, but then, you know, the actual TBS broadcast, which was live right before the pay-per-view really highlighted the event quite a bit. So it felt like maybe there was some sort of cross promotion there. I'm sure Bischoff has the answers to a lot of these questions. He's actually covering this same topic with his podcast Bischoff on wrestling this week. So this is a great companion piece. Uh, we're going to shit on the event. And then Eric is going to tell you why this was all a great idea and made a lot of sense. And then somewhere in the middle, you can kind of form your own opinion. Um, let's talk about the actual setup for the show itself. You guys were outside all day here, Tony. How hot was it? It wasn't really that bad, Conrad. Uh, it really wasn't. It wasn't, uh, uh oppressive heat like you find in Georgia or Alabama. Sure. But, uh, it, it, it was actually a, it was actually a pretty nice day. How long did it take for the WCW crew to get all of this set up, all the rigging, wow. the lights, the entrance, and then, and what precautions were made in case it were to rain? That's obviously got to be something people think about. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I can't answer, uh, as to how long it took to set this stuff up. Uh, a couple of days, I can tell you, they were out, they were out there quite a while. Yeah. As far as provisions for rain, there were no provisions for rain. So if it starts raining, you just, the equipment's fucked. The lights are fucked. Yeah. yeah. Okay. There you go. Learn something new every day. Yeah. Uh, why was the ring elevated? Did the boys consider this dangerous? Anytime I see an elevated ring like this, I think about the way Rick rude, you know, lost his career with sting and it just feels more dangerous to me, especially yeah. when you've got some of the more high flying luchador stuff. Why was it elevated? And, and did you know of any it of the guys a- trying to do a walkthrough to become familiar with what they had there? Oh yeah. They did walkthroughs. Uh, there's no question they did that. They did that at every arena we went to. Sure. As far as going out and looking at it, uh, 
but it was elevated because there was no seating and there was no bowl seating bowl. You had to elevate the ring high so that everybody that was parked side by side, front to back could see up into the ring. That's why it was elevated. I I really like that. You said that because you said the word parked. And if you haven't seen this event, there's tons and tons of motorcycles that just surround the area. People were encouraged to bring their, their ride, their motorcycle over. So they didn't have seating. Your bike was your seat. And, And this looks like as a fan that this thing happened in a damn gravel parking lot. That can't be right. Can it Tony? That's exactly right. Conrad, as a matter of fact, during the course of the, the evening, a lot of wrestlers, a lot of managers, a lot of cameramen, a lot of grips, a lot of people who worked, some announcers got hit with, got hit with handfuls of pea gravel, pea sized gravel. You know, anytime. that's, um, that's actually what I wanted to talk about next because you guys started to see a little bit of an, an epidemic here. When Hogan turned heel at the bash of the beach in 96, the fans started throwing trash in the ring. And that trend would continue on Nitro when the NWO took over during the Luger and Bubba main event. Hogan cut somewhat of a work shoot promo on Randy Savage, blaming his divorce on Hogan when really it was Randy who couldn't quote unquote rise to the occasion. So this Mm -hmm. brings just an onslaught of trash to be thrown into the ring. And it was such a spectacle at the time. I thought it was a work I've learned in years since it was not, I bring this up now because you guys are having matches around a bunch of people who've probably been drinking all weekend. And now you're literally in a gravel parking lot. Is this not in the book of bad ideas? Yes, it is. You know, Conrad, we're playing Monday morning quarterback here and I understand. And there were a number of matches on this card that were the drizzling shits. And I understand that, but I'm going to tell you from my point of view, I enjoyed it. Well, well, listen, I, I want to make sure that we're telling the full story. So I don't want it to just be all negative, but it does feel a little bit like we're going against the grain with almost every decision so far. So was one, let me ask this was one of the things you enjoyed about this show, having to piss and shit in a bucket in the back, because there was no bathroom because the boys have said over the years that if ever, you know, they had to do a one or a two. It was in a bucket in the back. So did you have a special bucket? Was Tom Zink there? Were you hanging around that bucket? Talk me through it. First of all, I don't remember Tom being there that night. And second of all, I remember porta potties. Okay, cool. So there you go. That's let's just strike down that rumor and innuendo. There were not pissing shit buckets. Now the porta potties, were they manned by Klondike bill? (laughs) No, Klondike was gone by that time, but. Klondike would have certainly been the gentleman, uh, or was he gone by that? Time? No, he was not. No, he was he there. Was oh God. I was gone by that time. Uh, but Klondike certainly would have been the gentleman to hold open the door for the ladies to go. Oh, I have no doubt about that. <laughs> hey, so you're, you're in a fun kind of party environment and there's yeah. been lots of talk that whenever you guys would do one of these shows on the beach for like nitro at La Vila or whatever, that there would be lots of day drinking going on. Do you remember there being any crazy partying stories from uh, partying stories from any of the cast and crew that week? Uh, we, I remember a lot of partying stories, the cast and crew, when we would go to Disney right. and go to a hotel and hang out there for like a week or, or, or so. But as far as the cast and crew, you know, I, uh, I'm not, I don't, I didn't hang out with the cast and crew. So I wasn't, I wasn't a crew hanger outer. Well, let's talk about somebody who was uh, known to have a good time and let's address the elephant in the room. 
Bobby Heenan uh-huh. was impaired on this show, and I'm not going to go so far as to say he was drunk because that's a term thrown around too loosely. So we'll instead be technical and honest. He was under the okay. influence here. You could hear All it. Right. Um, did you see Bobby drink or have a conversation with him? Uh, I have a conversation with him about him drinking. Yeah. Is that what? Okay. All right. Look, I never did see, uh, I never did see Bobby, uh, uh, swig a bottle of liquor, but dusty said to me, I, and I remember saying to dusty, I said, I think this was after the show. I said, I think he was having too much. And dusty says, what did you think it was in that water bottle? Right. Oh, and I said, oh, okay. So there you go. Uh, at the time when this, when the event was going on, I was, I was growing more and more upset because he wasn't Bobby, the brain Heenan as he was at the first part of it. By the time the Ric Flair, Eddie Guerrero match took place, it seemed like he was really out of it to me. So I didn't know what was going on at that time. I didn't know maybe he's on painkillers. Maybe he's tired, too much time in the sun. Don't know. Drunk, don't know. Had too much drink, don't know. But I do know that as I'm doing it, I'm thinking that he is really not 100% here. But then I go back and I listen to it again, and I did this past week before we did the show. It didn't come off as badly as I thought. Well, let me ask you this. It sounds like you can make a judgment call there. You know, At some point, you and Dusty are even you know, without overtly saying it, you're having a little bit of fun with it on the air. Aren't you supposed to be some sort of half-ass producer at this point? Wouldn't that make you his boss? Couldn't you have said something or done something? Or did you just yeah, not but, feel like that was your place? Well, it was my place. But are you asking me to just put my headset down at the time when we're doing a show without breaks and say, come on, get your ass in gear? My first job is being an announcer right now and doing the best job that I can. Okay. So when it's over, so why are you throwing shit on me for him having being inebriated? Well, because he's supposed to answer to you. And if you're the producer, you're technically his boss. So couldn't you have taken him to the woodshed after? Yeah, I could have. And what did you do? I didn't. I ignored it. Uh, what did dusty say about his performance? About Bobby's performance? Well, well or lack thereof. Well, he kind of laughed. He kind of laughed it off. Like, you know, the brain man, he was two sheets to the wind or three <laughs> sheets to the wind or whatever. I mean, he just. You know, and there's a, there's a point to where, and it's, and, and I went back and listened to it when Eddie Guerrero is coming out and, uh, dusty says something to the point, this is during Eddie's entrance to the point to, uh, well brain. And he, he, he is leading into Bobby Heenan to say something. And I know that Bobby's inebriated and I would prefer if I'm going to go to dusty, dusty, not throw it to Bobby. And I look at dusty like don't get him involved in this conversation and you can hear dusty laugh and he's reacting to, to my looking at him, uh, that time as well. So, um, dusty kind of tried to egg it on by bringing Bobby into the conversation and you know, dusty just liked to have fun on the set. So hypothetically would Bobby Heenan have gotten drunk during a WWF show? Of course not. Is that not just a microcosm of what was wrong with WCW? Doesn't it say it all? Okay. But, and uh, again, I'm, I'm not blaming. Well, blame me for it if you want to, but, uh, it's just, Bobby was very unhappy with, uh, the WW with WCW. Anybody who worked in the W everybody who had worked in WWE or WWF and had made the move to WCW, like I did for that one year, realized 
that this wasn't what we, what we remembered. And this wasn't the professionally run organization that we had remembered. Uh, and, well, uh, no shit. It's not the professional organization. You're allowed to go to work drunk. And, and that feels a little bit like passing the buck to me. Like, well, this place isn't professional, so I'm just going to take their money and get fucked up. Well, I can't, you know what? I can't, I'm not putting words in Bobby brain, Bobby, the brain Heenan's mouth on that. No, I'm not either. Meltzer said, yeah. uh, he wrote in the newsletter that Heenan was out to lunch for the entire show and actually took away from the show instead of adding to it. And Bruce Mitchell had this to say in the torch. Bobby Heenan's practice of calling pay-per-views when he appears to be obviously impaired is an embarrassment to WCW, Turner Broadcasting, and the industry on a whole. I'm not talking about a style that I don't enjoy or don't think enhanced the product, such as Lee Marshall's. I mean, Heenan's habit of apparently not maintaining the minimum standard that every other broadcast company would require before allowing a person on the air from inability to keep track of his partner's discussions to his mistimed, incoherent jokes to his babbling out of control was so blatantly unprofessional that Tony Schiavone and Dusty Rhodes took to mocking him on the air. Rhodes obviously is now a member of the pay-per-view announcing team in part to cover for Heenan. Think I'm exaggerating. How about when he couldn't tell the difference between Rick and Scott Steiner? Heenan's performance would have gotten him kicked out of a booth at a high school football radio broadcast. And the it's only wrestling excuse doesn't cut it either. Heenan has paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to share one of the quickest wits this business has ever seen with fans who pay 25 bucks and upwards to get the show. WCW officials are to blame for not helping Heenan to be at least physically prepared to share that wit with their customers. It's also yeah. unfair to expect Shivani and Rhodes to constantly have to deal with this and somehow do a competent job of calling WCW sometimes wild and wooly pay-per-view shows. Someone at WCW has to step in and demand that either Heenan meet that minimum requirement or remove him from the broadcast team before he hurts WCW or worse himself further. Your response to Bruce Mitchell and the torch here? Uh, it. He's right. He's, he's right. Uh, and you know, we we play Monday morning quarterback here. I should have did a good, I should have pushed the callback button and say, someone has to listen to Heenan here and make a decision whether they want to keep him on here or not is what I should have done. But you didn't want to rat out your friend, maybe. Well, I, I, I was hoping I wasn't the only one listening to this shit. Right. Well, Bruce Mitchell was listening. Dave Meltzer was listening. No, I'm talking about, I'm talking about producer wise. I don't think anybody else was. I don't think they were either. I don't, I don't think we were being produced at all back then. Let me ask this. That there's a rumor that WCW was trying to bring Ted DiBiase in to be a TV announcer. Do you think perhaps he was part of Bischoff's backup plan for Heenan? Probably was. That sounds pretty legit to me. You know, Bobby really lost favor with Eric. Sure. Uh, and, uh, and I have a feeling this may have been part of it. Well, um, you know, there's, there's lots of, I think see, most, I'm, I'm thinking, look, I'm thinking that I'm to blame for all this shit. How's this your fault? Were you pouring the well, booze in his water bottle? Way. It just sounds that way. Well, listen, you certainly could have put your foot down, but at the same time, there is a minimum expectation that you're not supposed to show up drunk to work. Well, right. Or worse, drink on the job. And I know that, you know, people are going to tweet me and say, oh, Gordon Soley did. And oh, okay. I get that. But if we're going to, 
you know, kind of armchair quarterback, everything else that happened in WCW, why is this off limits? Yeah. Uh, Meltzer wrote Lee Marsh thing to talk about. Well, it's not an easy thing to talk about because of Heenan's current condition, but the reality is we're not talking about Heenan in 2017. We're talking about the time that he got loaded on a pay-per-view broadcast 21 years ago and you didn't pour it, pour it in there. And, and, and I didn't. So we're just talking about what was out there, what was in the torch, what was in the observer. And, you know, we're telling the truth. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Send your hate tweets to at, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad or at Tony Schiavone 24, but that's how it happened guys. And, uh, if we're going to call it down the middle, let's do it. Uh, Lee Marshall was, uh, mentioned in the observer Meltzer had this to say, Lee Marshall has been doing play by play on both pro and worldwide of late. The only conclusion I can come to about that assignment, since Marshall is by far the worst of WCW announcings bunch is that Tony Schiavone wants to make sure the only guy who gets any visibility is a guy that nobody will ever think is a better announcer than he is. Your response. Uh, I'm not, yeah, I'm not in charge of those assignments. Never was in charge of those assignments. The only, uh, the only, I was only in charge of announcers as far as approving their, uh, expense reports or helping them with travel. That was all I did. And I also did, uh, bullshit. And I always call them bullshit because they are bullshit. I was always in charge of bullshit reviews, which are big on the corporate level. And I would always just say, here's what your review, here's what I wrote for your review. Do you like it? Yes. Sign off on it type of shit. I never would sit down with an announcer. Maybe I should have, maybe I should have sat down with the announcer and say, you know what? I don't like you doing that. Or I don't think you should have said that. Or I don't think we should sell it that way. And then I would have been perceived a bigger prick than I was already perceived as one. Anyway, I never did do that. Uh, uh so I wasn't in charge of those assignments. Wants to make sure is the only guy who gets the visibility is a guy that nobody ever think it's a better announcement. Fuck him. Let me, Absolutely. Fuck him. You know, he can, he can go, he can suck my dick. Oh, we're coming in hot. Hey, let me ask You're this. Damn right. We are. When you filled okay. out Lee Marshall's review, did you write? You're great. <laughs> <laughs> like if I was filling out his review and I wasn't going to care, which clearly you didn't, yeah. I would have just yeah. written, you're doing great. Yeah. Look, I was, I would look, I was all, I was very non-confrontational back then. And I, I didn't feel it was my place as one of the announcers to critique other announcers. Well, weren't you a producer? To a certain extent. Yes. Okay. But I wasn't producing announcers. Let's move on. I was heading into this show. WCW was leading heavily in the ratings, winning by a full point at times. Do you remember a particular show or day when everyone realized that the tide had turned, so to speak? Uh, there was no particular day that we had felt the tide had turned. It was just kind of a gradual thing on my end. I never did. There was never any celebratory day or time where we all, after the show was over, went in the back and gave everybody high fives or shook everybody's hand and said, man, we really kicked their ass that time. Didn't we? No, I never thought that. And we just kind of moved ahead to the next one. We always as, and I've brought this up on, uh, on earlier shows. We always kind of like bolted after the show was over sure, and left the arena. So I don't think there was any time that we all got together. Uh, there was, there was a lot of lack of camaraderie backstage. Uh, among production people, a lot of lack of camaraderie. 
And I don't know who, if you want, you want to blame me for that too? No, I don't want to blame me for any of this. Is there anywhere where Meltzer's going to blame me for that too? I don't think so. I think he's got other things. You know what? I should have through the years called Meltzer after every show and I wouldn't have to be defending this bullshit. Uh, it was around this time you guys had temporarily moved operations to Orlando from Atlanta and there was talks of doing that permanently, right? Why didn't that happen? Well, probably because, uh, that Turner didn't want us to pull up stakes and move there, but I always thought it was the right thing to do. Uh, we, uh, we moved uh, to during the, uh, the summer Olympics in Atlanta because CNN center was ground zero. Right. Uh, we, we moved, uh, for the entire Olympics, even prior to that, our operations to a bungalow backstage at the MGM studios. And it was, it was absolutely a great summer for everybody because we all got to run at the park and we got to do shows at, at, uh, at the Disney studios and the crowds were always, you know, pumped up because it was part of the, uh, was part of the rides or, you know, part of the experience of the MGM studios. How did, it was di- great. How did Disney like having you guys? Well, they loved having us until, uh, we threw uh, Ray Mysterio jr. Into a, uh, into a trailer, into a trailer, like a lawn dart. <laughs> and then that, 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 because of the ambulances came in and, and, uh, uh, because of their guests coming in that night. Uh, we're all up in arms about seeing someone taking out an ambulance. That was not the Disney way. That was not the Disney family way. And that began us going down the shitter with them. Hey, so let me mention the night show you're talking about took place on July 29th and the match in the ring was sting Lex Luger and Randy Savage against flair Benoit and Steve McMichael. Jimmy Hart runs in from the back and says the outsiders are there. Eventually everyone stops and goes to the back and sees Arn and Bagwell laid out. Um, Scott Hall lays out rigs and then famously Ray Mysterio dives onto Kevin Nash who catches him and then spins him around and lawn darts him into a trailer. Uh, and then Hall and Nash jump in a limo and Randy Savage jumps on the roof of the limo and all hell breaks loose. Woman's freaking out. Benoit's in near tears, uh, sting and flair in the ambulance. Mysterio's carted off. The angles actually died in the ratings, but it piqued interest for sure. And it's something people are still talking about. So if you'd like to see this pretty iconic segment, it's July 29th, 1996 on the WWE network. Yeah. It didn't really fit in with, uh, beauty and the beast <laughs> sleeping beauty. <laughs> Needless to say, well, That's some, right. something else that didn't fit in, uh, was you guys and the WWF you're embroiled in a lawsuit here. Uh, things are actually starting to get serious by August here. Depositions are being taken, including Scott Hall meeting with Jerry McDivitt, uh, the WWF's lawyer we've all heard about for so long. And everybody is named in this WCW, Ted Turner, Eric Bischoff. Were you ever deposed in this? I don't remember us talking about that before. I was not deposed in this. I was deposed, uh, when back, when they were claiming that there were secrets being passed, I say, uh, I was deposed in that, but not in this one. So the, the talk in the whole company at this point is who's going to be the fourth man. And it's expected that we're going to get this reveal at hog wild and the dirt sheets are guessing it might've been anyone from British bulldog to Bret Hart, Jeff Jarrett. It's actually supposed to be Sean Waltman, the former one, two, three kid from the WWF. But now at the last minute, right before he set the debut here, he's named in the lawsuit and his likeness can't be used. So his debut is stalled. Do you remember that being the plan that six S Y X X was actually supposed to be the fourth member? That was the plan. Absolutely. And they, what you've said is, is correct. Is, is correct. 
that he was named in the lawsuit, and we had to kind of uh, pull things back on that. So they go with uh, Brutus the fucking barber beefcake briefly, but we'll get there and talking about that in a little while. As we covered on our Bash at the Beach episode, which is available now in the archives, this was supposed to be Hogan's next to last pay-per-view. Now, they had already contracted uh, Slim Jim to sponsor Halloween Havoc and promised them a Savage Hogan main event. But the other big show they're actually trying to build, even through this entire pay-per-view, is the Clash of the Champions on August 15th from Denver. Now, that's a two-hour free TBS special, and now it's going to be headlined by Hulk Hogan, now going by Hollywood Hogan, against Ric Flair. And this is the first time they've met where Flair is supposed to be the babyface. Uh, their prior clash match from August of 94 at that point was the single most watched wrestling match ever on cable television. Over 4.1 million homes saw it. It did a 6.7 rating. And of course, those two guys held the record for the biggest pay-per-view gross in WCW history for their matches in 94. But I feel like there's probably some strategy to giving this away on a TBS special, as opposed to putting it on the fall brawl pay-per-view in September. Can you clue us in here? It's very logical. We were feeding the TBS beasts. It was more important for us to draw numbers for Turner nitro thunder, whatever. than it was to get buy rates on pay-per-view. Not, not too good of a business plan. Is it? Can I just freestyle that yeah. since Hogan's paper, since Hogan's contract was coming to a close and Halloween havoc was supposed to be the last one that maybe Bischoff booked this against flair to show Turner, the value that Hogan had now that they had this NWO angle over him. Uh, it feels like a fresh coat of paint and this could pop a big rating for them and then maybe give Bischoff some leverage to go back and renegotiate and get Hogan for another big money deal. I think you're, uh, I think your freestyling is right on. I think he wanted to show the Turner people how valuable Hogan was to us, which we all knew he was sure. And this was a way to do it. I think you're right on there, Conrad. You should have been running the company. You motherfucker. Well, see the problem with that is I was 15. See, that's an issue. Uh, we did a lot of things. We did a lot of things that made us look like we were fucking 12. Uh, there was talk in the dirt sheets here that the NWO angle had become the Hulk Hogan show. And now that he was involved, Hall and Nash were a little more than background noise. So in WCW decides, Hey, let's go ahead and try to do something a little different. And they have Hall and Nash take over the control room on a nitro where the guys are actually bullying their producers and directors. Uh, now in the process, we miss our chance to see a match between renegade, Joe Gomez, Jim powers, and Alex, Wright As they take on Kevin Sullivan, Hugh Morris, the barbarian and the fucking leprechaun. Mm. Um, I, I don't know that we've ever talked about him before. And maybe we won't again, uh, please tell we me you have a good story about the fucking leprechaun. Well, it's buddy Lee Parker who was, uh, who had made his name famous. Uh, as really as a, a trainer in the power plant. Uh, I only remember the leprechaun coming out and running around the ring one time during a pay-per-view and leaving. This was a, uh, this was a brainchild of Kevin Sullivan's because Col- Sullivan was into all this, you know, crazy, the leprechaun, the horror movie and things like that. Uh, and so that was, this was his brainchild of, 
of making uh, Buddy Lee Parker uh, the leprechaun. And I, I think what is is uh, probably uh, great about missing this is not that we missed uh, the leprechaun, is that we missed seeing Joe Gomez on TV. I would have soon seen the leprechaun uh, take a shit in the middle of the ring as I would see Joe Gomez wrestle. Um, Joe Gomez is uh, a friend of the show, but let's keep heaping shit on him. Is he really? Hypothetically. Hey Joe, I love you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, I love it, man. You, you backpedal better than a fucking cornerback. I'm going to tell you now. <laughs> hey, um, hypothetically speaking, who do you think barbarian was more fond of the leprechaun or Joe Gomez? I, he probably liked Joe Gomez's long locks of brown hair. Joe Gomez. Although the, the leprechaun could have, could have, uh, jerked him off without having to just having to reach up, you know, just, he was kind of like his <laughs> eye was barbarian dick level. One would think my goodness. What have we done? Uh, an, another time <laughs> no, they shot him. No, 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 no. My round friend. What have you done? Not me. You're the one that started this. Uh, barbarian Tommy young jerked me off bullshit. Okay. <laughs> wait, wait, you wait. I started you. this. Oh yeah. Let me be clear. I was not in that locker room when that was said, <laughs> I just shared a story. Okay. Tommy young. <laughs> you come over here. You jack me off. <laughs> it's coming out one way or another, brother. Ah, 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 <laughs> you pick hand or asshole. Um, <laughs> Another time they shot an angle in Orlando, uh, right after the end of nitro sting and Luger about to leave the park, Hall and Nash jump them, beat them up and have a video camera shooting the scene. And they mock them while they're down. Any memories of these two bits where they're trying to do something with Hall and Nash separate from Hulk Hogan, where they take over the directors and the producers, where they attack the guys as they're leaving the park, any memories of those or discussions as to why you thought that was necessary? They just tried to make Hall and Nash disruptors or they, God, disruptors is a lousy term, but shit disturbers sure. uh, for the NWO. And they were trying to think of ways to do this. Uh, uh, again, as Sting and, and Luger are leaving the, the Disney property, getting their ass kicked is probably not a good thing to do. That right. same show ends where Flair was supposed to be in the main event, but didn't make it. And instead there's a limo in the parking lot where Arn was looking for Flair who wasn't there. And it was sort of teased that the fourth man could be anybody. Now, of course, no chance Flair was ever probably seriously considered for the NWO. But do you remember why Flair didn't make it to the show? I do not remember that at all. Well, I don't um, remember that angle. I, I think it was just him missing a show and y'all were trying to cover for him. But we right. hope that Flair doesn't miss any other shows. We know he's been hospitalized recently. Shout out and prayers for the Nature Boy. Uh, our, obviously, our thoughts and prayers are with the family. No question. Uh, at one point, Sting and Luger uh, go into a vacant limo and find a wreath of flowers, sending condolences to the death of WCW. Uh, and this is basically a copy of the time that Jim Cornette sent this same deal to Jim Hurd years ago. Was this a rib? Do you think it's just a callback to that funny? Yeah, I know it was absolutely. It was, it was a callback to that. And we all had kind of a chuckle about that because, you know, some of the things that, that Jim Cornette said about Jim Hurd and, and wrote about Jim Hurd is hilarious. Absolutely. Absolutely freaking hilarious. Uh, well, Have you seen the Grinch, the Grinch poem. Yes. 
in his book. It's wonderful. If you haven't seen that, you should go pick up Jim Cornette's book. He has lots of hilarity in that book and some directed right at Mr. Hurd. Uh, the fucking leprechaun isn't the only guy moving on up. Meltzer had this to say, even though he's not, he's doing nothing but jobs. The folks at WCW are impressed with psychosis. Terry Taylor even called him one of the greatest workers in the history of wrestling. And the talk amongst the booking committee is that he's got more potential for the U S than Mysterio jr. Although done correctly, he doesn't because they're looking at Mysterio jr's lack of size as a drawback when in fact it's an attribute if used correctly. Uh, Tony, what do you think of Terry Taylor's assessment that psychosis is one of the greatest workers in the history of wrestling? Uh, the, I don't like using the term greatest in the history of wrestling, Conrad. Why's that? Uh, I, <laughs> Go ahead. I, I, I was, I was opening that. I was throwing you that softball. No, listen, listen, here's the deal. I didn't know if you were going to like, let me bust on you for using that every single yeah, week, 19 that's... times a week. Or if you were going to pay homage to the goat, Mr. Ric Flair himself. No, no. Uh, look, uh, I don't know if Terry said that, but he probably did. Well, of and course I, he I, said I, it. And guess who he said it too? Yes, of course. I find it very odd that in the same sentence, Terry Taylor is quoted sentence, and then later on in the sentence, it says the talk among the booking committee. So who do you think reported to Dave Meltzer? From the booking committee. Doesn't that kind of say? Doesn't that kind of? I don't. I don't have any facts to prove it, but that kind of says a uh, Melter being the dumbass that he could be at times exposed Terry Taylor in yeah. one sentence. Well, I mean, I have it on good authority that Terry Taylor was actually the fourth stooge in the Three Stooges, but he wasn't good enough for that, so they cut him. Does Terry listen to our, our podcast? Uh, if he does, he's going to punch me right in the dick one day. <laughs> he's going to go find Barbarian, and they're going to say, Conrad Thompson, <laughs> you come over here, you jerk Terry off. <laughs> um, WCW canceled Baltimore and Norfolk on August 16th and 17th after too many wrestlers complained about the schedule for August. Uh, this is all directly from the Wrestling Observer. Again, would this decision have been made by the WWF, in your opinion? This is the no. same company that once upon a time ran a thousand fucking house shows in a year. No house shows were, as you know, were the backbone of the business, but I can, I, you know, I, I don't think Eric and he may have, but I don't think Eric would have, uh, would have bowed to the wrestlers complaining. Eric didn't like house shows, right? Eric, even in his book said he thought we should be a television only company. And the hell with the house shows. Well, so and because me, this Turner is, was a TV company. So, I mean, I get that, but right. a wrestling company has house shows. But Eric didn't, didn't think we should have house shows. He thought we should go television only. He thought the house shows were the thing of the past. Yeah. Now and WCW, so now WCW is a thing of the past. I just want to mention that. Yeah. <laughs> I can see him just canceling house shows saying, yeah, okay, let's not go. Meltzer wrote this prior to the pay-per-view. He wrote the Hogan giant finish will be most interesting. Put it this way. The result of that match will determine a lot who has how much power. Uh, what do you think he's trying to say there cryptically? God, I, I, I don't, I hate to try to read the mind of that idiot. Uh, it feels like he's saying if the giant wins, then who has the power? I mean, obviously if Hogan wins brother, 
We know yeah. this is where the power lies. But so so is he trying to say if the giant wins that maybe Hall and Nash have the power? But, like that or, doesn't make any sense, does it? No, no, it doesn't make any sense at all. I feel it, like it, sometimes when people and I love Dave Meltzer, let me just say I know you disagree, but I, I'm a 20 year subscriber. No, no, but look, I don't love him. I do. You, you love it. You he's love great. it because he's never shit on you. Well, no, no, he's That's, yeah. I'm sure he shit on me. No, no. Pick up a pick up a dirt sheet. See, he's ever shit on you. Never shit on Conrad Thompson, but he shit on Tony Schiavone. Sure. Well, so, but, but there's a lot of observations, <laughs> the observer about the wrestling business that he has had that he's right on with, but there's a lot of, I don't want to, there's a lot of what Dave Meltzer has said in the past that is just basically based on who talks to him and who doesn't. And that's bullshit. That's not journalism. I feel like. The finish will be most interesting. Put it this way. The result of that match will determine a lot. Who has how much power is very, it's like, um, Hey, I'm going to, I feel like sometimes in wrestling, people try to impress you with how much they know. And so they just right. want to speak cryptically like this. Like they know something you don't know. And really they don't fucking know anything. Yeah. He could have been jerking off the barbarian while he was writing this. Story. I really hope not. WCW yeah. was really ramping up their syndication during this time and doing numbers in the process. They had 6.88 million homes on 175 stations as compared to WWF programming being viewed in only 4.2 million homes on 153 stations. Tony, you helped put together some of these syndicated shows. Did you guys or the Turner staff keep up with uh, those numbers? Was there like a scorecard internally as far as where you were compared to the WWF? No, there was not. And there should have been well, there should have been, there should, they should have let us know. Or maybe as a supervising producer, I should have investigated myself right? and let the staff know, Hey guys, we have more clearances in the WWF. We're doing great. We're in all these markets, but we never got that feedback. We just, we just kept cranking out the shows and cranking out the shows each and every week and realizing that in effect, that these shows had no impact on our company as far as a creative was concerned. It's worth there was there when there was an angle and I, and I always bitched about this when there was an angle in the nitro thunder days, there was never an angle done on worldwide. And I, I had, I had even told Eric this and, and Craig leathers this. I said, why don't we do an angle on a worldwide taping and play it back on a nitro? Right. So the people will think, well, I got to see that. I got to see worldwide, but we never did that. The only thing that only thing that nitro basically, or only thing that the syndicated shows basically became were, were recaps with some matches, some job guy matches basically from, from Disney or then later on universal studios, they had no bearing on our product as far as having to keep up with the storyline. And that, that was wrong. And as you were just telling me there, it was really wrong because we had a lot of stations. Yeah. And, and it's worth mentioning that the WWF shows, you know, as you're explaining, they covered all the angles, you know, their syndicated stuff was pushing whatever their top stuff was that those matches didn't exist in a vacuum kind of the way they did in WCW. Things are really good here. Uh, just a year away from 95, uh, all of a sudden, you know, ratings are up and now show attendance is up. You guys are actually running very profitable house shows, but oddly enough, pay-per-view is down a little. Tony, do you have a theory as to why that may have been? I don't have a theory. I know why that's been Conrad. What's that? We were giving everything away for free on nitro. Yep. It's hard and to argue thunder. Yeah, we were. Why, why would you buy the pay-per-view at 
29, 39.95 or whatever the price point was in the mid nineties, when you could see something free the next night on TNT and you could have the recap of all the angles. And why would you do that? Everything was given away. The most important thing to watch for us was nitro. And that was more important than watching a pay-per-view. And that was wrong. And had we, and of course we're Monday morning quarterbacking here. Had we, had we made the, you know, you got to see the pay-per-view. No, you got to see nitro. Had we had it, you got to see the pay-per-view, we probably would have had more buy rates. In New York, the concrete jungle where dreams are made of, there's nothing you can't do. That's right, there's nothing you can't do in the Big Apple. That's why we are bringing Pritchard's Dirty Dozen to New York City. It is going to be Saturday afternoon right before NXT. Now all you have to do is jump onto Facebook.com forward slash something to wrestle and make sure that you are one of the 12 that get to hang out with Bruce and Conrad right before NXT, have a couple of drinks, have some laughs. It is going to be a time you'll never forget. All the information, once again, is going to be on Facebook.com forward slash something to wrestle. Make sure you're part of Pritchard's Dirty Dozen in the Big Apple. New York City. Something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Live. I thought it was no work. Something to wrestle with live show is even better in person. The show was really funny. Hey, New York. Something to wrestle with live is coming to you Sunday, August 20th at the Gramercy Theater at 12.30 p.m. I recommend coming to any live show. I haven't laughed that hard in a while. The first show on Saturday sold out, so we added a second on Sunday. Come see Bruce and Conrad live and in living color, baby. You never know what they're going to say. You never know what surprises may be in store. And they're going to talk about things that they can't talk about in the air. You're not going to want to miss this show. It was so great. It was a great experience. August 20th, 2017 at the Gramercy Theater in New York, New York. Something to wrestle with, Bruce Pritchard, live. We had a really good time. Well, this is essentially the start of the NWO. It's also basically the beginning of the end. As the FTC had approved the Turner-Time Warner merger, uh, how was this news received at the time? Of course, we know how it would wind up. But here in you know late summer uh, of 96, do you guys give any sort of second thought as to how this is going to change the culture of the company? I think we're all concerned about it. I, well, I know we're all concerned about it. You know, uh, the one thing is and that I have found through my years of, of working, not only in, in wrestling, but in radio is that the, a lot of times you can, uh, bust your ass and, and try to get the job done. And there are things that happen above you that you have no, uh, that you have, that have that impact your job and you have no decision in. Right. So there was a concern that we, I always thought, and I mentioned you're on this program before that I always knew that, that, that there was an end to WCW. Eventually it wasn't going to last forever. Turner broadcasting. We just milked it. Thank God for Eric Bischoff and, and some of the efforts that he made, we milked, we milked it as long as we could. Uh, because it, listen, it wasn't going anywhere before he took over. Yeah. And, and I feel like we should mention here, although we're being critical of this show and it basically being the Eric Bischoff show, and we're going to continue to do that for the rest of the program. 
Bischoff is responsible for WCW getting to this next level. And he doesn't do, he doesn't get nearly the credit he deserves for the impact no. he had on the business. Would you agree with that? No. Yeah. But, and the reason is that people just want to shit on the work that he did. Sure. He made some mistakes as, as people are going to do. Everybody does. Goodness. Yeah. But he made some mistakes that you saw these see on TV and that were very high profile m- mistakes against, you know, a, a competitor who's probably more cutthroat than anybody that we've ever met in our lives. Um, so, but yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, now I've lost my train of thought. You're interrupting. What was I saying? Well, that's cool. Before we get to the show, we should mention that, a, that a major blackout happened on the West coast this Saturday. There were nine states that had trouble ordering the pay-per-view and this couldn't have been avoided or prevented in any way on the WCW side. It happens just about an hour before the show. Did you guys know that this was an issue that day or was it just the talk of the office the next week? It was kind of the, the talk of the office the next week. So live when you're doing it, you have no idea that no. nine states are having trouble seeing you. We don't at the announce table. Okay. I'm just trying to keep people sober. I love you for that. Actually, you weren't even trying roll title on that. Allegedly, <laughs> even though Hogan appeared on the show, this deal was structured where he didn't get his usual 25% cut from the show, which was his typical pay-per-view deal. Uh, that show did 220,000 buys. It's down from 250,000 the month prior where he turned heel in July. Were you guys disappointed with that number or considering the blackout? Were you pleased? We were disappointed with the number. I mean, you can, you can blame any, anybody sure. you want to blame on bad buy rates. And sometimes I just thought that things like a blackout was, uh, was a way to, bl- to put, to blame some, something else. Uh, Meltzer yeah. said the, the audience was around 5,000, not the 300,000 that Heenan said on the broadcast. What, what would you peg the crowd attendance at that day? Uh, 5,000 sounds about looks and sounds about right. 300,000 is what Enon said. Yeah. He said on the broadcast, there were 300,000 people amongst the sea of heads. There, there weren't 300,000. You couldn't put 300,000 people in Sturgis. Well, you could probably fit that man. Never mind. Uh, hog wild. Let's talk about the observer fan poll 65 votes. Uh, so 43.6% thumbs up 36.9% thumbs down and 19 and a half percent thumbs in the middle. What say you, Tony thumbs up, thumbs down or thumbs in the middle. Thumbs in the middle, liked a lot of the matches, liked the way the event opened, really liked the Benoit uh, match with, of course, the Iceman, liked the Harlem Heat match against the uh, Steiners, and then it kind of went down from there. Best match poll uh, was Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko in the Observer. That's what the readers thought, and they thought the worst was Hulk Hogan and the Giant. Do you agree with those two assessments? Yes, I do. Uh, this is directly from the observer. Savage wasn't there at all. It was actually explained on nitro the week before that Savage had traded his interview time on this pay-per-view for a future title shot. The feeling was that if Savage was there, he'd have to attack Hogan. And if security stopped him, it would make the rest of the show where security wasn't going to stop a million run-ins be ridiculous. In addition, if Savage were to attack Hogan before the match, it would risk turning Hogan babyface. Tony, in hindsight, and I know we always talk about that being 2020 here on the show, wouldn't you try to figure out a way to feature one of your biggest stars in the Macho Man on this stage? He should have been featured in every big thing that we did. Yeah. I absolutely agree. It's a weird deal, and it makes me think there's more. That doesn't work for me, brother, at play, but we'll get there. Or or it could have been, and I, I, 
you know, I mean, that, that sounds like somebody who doesn't like Hogan. Uh, but maybe the macho man didn't want to come to, to circus. Maybe he had no place for it. Maybe he didn't, he didn't want to be out there. Well, he could have just got fucked up with Bobby Heenan at the desk. <laughs> Nobody's going to stop him. All right. Let's talk about the matches. You guys did a series of matches on WCW Saturday night, which was kind of like your free for all the WWF was doing a 30 minute pre uh, free preview before their pay-per-views just to get last minute buys. And you guys are doing that. And since it's Saturday, you're using your own WCW Saturday night as a live lead in, which is kind of cool. You hadn't done a lot of live stuff on Saturday night. So this was a good opportunity. What did you think about the idea and, and how long of a day did it make for you? Well, it made a very long day for me. I, at, at the time, I thought it was a pretty good idea, but the matches ended up being so short. It ended up being a shitty idea. It, it seemed like we did more of throwing out matches. Uh, just we for had the a lot sake of guys. Of doing it. What's that? Just for the sake of doing it. Yeah. We, we had a lot of guys, so they wanted to make sure they worked, I guess, you know, cause we were moving on, uh, on to Denver. Uh, but it, it just seemed to me that the matches, I always thought I, I had an idea years ago and I thought it worked quite well where I thought pregame shows should be done in a bar where fans are getting around getting ready to watch the event or done at people's houses where the families all gathered around the TV. Can't wait for it to start. And we did a show like that one time, uh, that I kind of produced where I, we brought Teddy long here to our house and Teddy interviewed some of our neighbors who were at our house, ready to watch a pay-per-view. What pay-per-view uh, was that? I can't remember which one it was. If you know what that was, please link it to us. Uh, we're on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash WHW Monday or on Twitter at WHW Monday. We would love to see that. Let's run through the matches right fast. There's a boatload to get through. Uh, public right. enemy beat Dick Slater and Mike Enos in just under four minutes when Rocco pinned Enos for a quarter star, uh, yeah. Conan pinned Chavo Guerrero jr. In about four and a half minutes, uh, with a splash mountain. Conan said afterwards in a promo that he's pattering, uh, patterning easy for me to say, uh, his career after Hulk Hogan star in three quarters, the nasty boys beat high voltage in three and a half minutes when knobs pinned Kenny chaos. And then the nasty boys did a promo saying they were neutral for now in this WCW versus NWO feud quarter star there. Alex, Wright pinned Bobby Eaton with a drop kick off the top rope in 30 seconds. That got a dud rating. Mm. Uh, I can't believe Bobby Eaton in 30 seconds. That seems like a wasted opportunity. Uh, yeah. Kevin Sullivan, Ming, and the Barbarian beat Jim Powers, Mark Starr, and Joe Gomez uh, in three minutes and six seconds when Ming pinned Starr after a thrust kick. Hypothetically, would you have liked to have seen the Barbarian pin Joe Gomez here? Joe Gomez. Absolutely. Uh, I would like to see, I would like to see him stomp Joe Gomez's ass to the mat. <laughs> does, does, does Joe listen to our show? He does, doesn't he? What, what was the issue with Joe? <laughs> Joe was uh, Joe was just easy to pick on. Oh, okay. He, he well, was just easy to pick on. He runs I South Florida him. now, so um, unless you want to unless you want to sleep with the fishes, let's say some nice things about him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Joe I'm, was a. I'm giving you the kid. Iggy right here. He's connected. Let's be nice. <laughs> okay. Love you, Joe. Yeah, he's a great guy. Yes, he uh, is. I think a yeah. lot of him. I do too. Yes. And you know, you know, throughout time, throughout time in pro wrestling, there were a lot of great guys 
who were shitty workers. And Joe Gomez was not one of them. He was screwed over and held down by WCW and the man. He clearly could have reached the heights of Virgil. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he could have. I'm just saying, if they can make Mongo McMichael a four horseman and they can put yeah. they can put Vincent in the NWO, yeah. that goddamn it, Joe Gomez deserves his opportunity. And I won't let you sit here and disparage the good goddamn name of Joe Gomez. Okay. Tony Giovanni. <laughs> Uh, David Taylor <laughs> subbing for psychosis. who's out of action for the rest of the month with a dislocated elbow. Pinned That's because he was the greatest wrestler in the history of wrestling. He is. I uh, yeah. just asked pin JL in two and a half minutes using the tights. And this is supposed to be the beginning of a psychosis singles push, but of course he's not there. It gets one star. Uh, we're getting towards the end of the show here. We've got diamond Dallas page pinning the renegade in 53 mm-hmm. seconds with the diamond cutter. Um, I don't know when we're going to talk about this again. So let me just fit it in here. And around this same time, Meltzer wrote in the observer page wants to do a deal where he would be the Stevie Richards flunky to Ric Flair, but Flair has said not to be so hot on the idea. Uh, Flair would in that scenario be pages benefactor since they started saying a benefactor storyline with no idea where they were going with it. Do you remember this pitch that DDP wanted to be a flunky for Flair? Yeah, I, I remember this. I, I remember DDP coming up with this idea, but I I also remember DDP coming up with a hundred ideas. Right. He thought he thought about his character and thought about how he could better himself all the time. So this was nothing new. It really is a testament to to what progress DDP makes in a year, because right here we're in August of '96, and he's not even on the doggone pay per view. And by August of 97, he would have main evented a pay-per-view. So props to DDP for sticking to it. Uh, Arn Anderson would pin Hugh Morris in 40 seconds with a DDT. And then the dungeon of doom attacked Anderson, but the horseman made the save that gets a dud. Uh, and that kind of brings the TBS version of the show to a close. They actually keep the pay-per-view feed going until the first match is in the ring. And then you say goodbye to TBS. Overall, do you think that that helped the pay-per-view with last-minute buys? Did you think that was a good strategy? Uh, well, because TBS had, at one time, it was the number one show, and we got free exposure for the pay-per-view. It was the right thing to do to have our show promote the pay-per-view. Whether it was what right to have all these matches or not, I don't think so. Because as you're running down all these matches, the longest match you got is four minutes. And, and I know sometimes you and I will yawn at a, about a match that goes 16 uh, to 20 minutes, but you got to have to be able to, to have a, a competitive match and to tell somewhat of a story, you got to be able to go more than four minutes and to run Arn Anderson out there in 40 seconds and Bob Eaton in 30 seconds, two of the greatest workers. What the fuck are we doing? Well, the, um, the show starts with a video of you saying that this is more than just a machine between your legs. Normally I would have a smart ass comment here, Tony, I'm going to lay out. Do you have anything you want to add to that? Uh, yeah, I, I would come up with thinking about Klondike bill. I would come Klondike would have rubbed that old beard and he said, Tony, Tony, I, you know, I'd like to see a mach- machine between some of the legs of some of the nitro girls and just pull the machine out and then be able to sniff it and take it home with me. Oh my. Okay. Uh, you guys did a helicopter shot to open this, 
uh, pay-per-view and, and you, you do it a few times through the show and it just feels like, again, one of those deals where the person who's making the decision isn't necessarily footing the bill. Do you have an idea how much it costs to use a helicopter like this for production purposes? Oh my God. No, I know. You know what? I, you know what I need to do, Conrad? I need to talk to David Crockett. He knew all that. He, he always booked these things. He knew how much it costs. We're going to get David Crockett to come to one of our live shows. The next time we do one in, in the North Carolina, South Carolina, somewhere in the mid Atlantic yeah. territory. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, but, uh, you know, look, we also destroyed a motorcycle that day. Yeah. Uh, uh, and we had uh, staging that, you know, that normally that you wouldn't have. And we had fucking fireworks and a helicopter and the helicopter. I'll guarantee the helicopter was at minimum, at minimum five grand. Oh, double that easy. Hey, so really one of the places you guys didn't spare any expense was in the wardrobe. Let's talk about what you fucks were wearing. Uh, oh. Dusty Rhodes has his blue jeans cut into shorts. He's cut the sleeves off of his denim shirt too. And he has on the Adrian Adonis motorcycle hat and cowboy boots. Somehow dusty Rhodes still pulls this off. He doesn't look like he's one of the people from people of Walmart. Uh, he actually looks kind of cool. Meanwhile, you're rocking slacks, a denim vest, the same goofy leather hat that dusty can pull off. And for some reason you have a hilariously bad tattoo. You look like a middle-aged village people person. Um, wasn't yeah. this your job as a producer to make sure you didn't look like you, <laughs> I mean, this feels like just a failure on your part. What was the tattoo? When did you get it? Why did you get it? And why that one? Well, I got it because I always wanted a tattoo always. And I never really had the courage to get one because I knew how much shit Lois would give me about having a tattoo. So I went down through downtown Sturgis and saw they had all these had tattoos that they would airbrush on you. And I, I got one, uh, thinking it was cool and wore it around a couple of days there. Um, and then had it to where it would, it would show on me, but we, it was, it was the theme of the thing, Conrad. It was, it was the theme of the show. You understand? So did you approve this wardrobe for dusty or, I mean, how does that go? Do no, no, see you're, you're, you're again, I don't, I don't approve announcers. I didn't approve announcer wardrobes. What were you producing we, besides horrible commentary and vodka you know bottles? You, you know what you are? I'm a shit disturber. Yeah. I know you're a fucking bully. Oh yeah. Okay. U L L Y is what you are. Well, Hey, you okay. keep it up and Tony Giovanni. <laughs> I'm just saying it's coming out one way or another, brother. <laughs> Easy way or hard way. Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> uh, so you managed to call the main event here. The most important world title match in the history of professional wrestling. How would you describe that same match today, Tony? Uh, well, it wasn't, it wasn't important, but it was important in the, in the context of WCW trying to keep the world title away from the NWO. Okay. Okay. Right? All right. When I say, how would you describe it today? That means be funny and foul. So let's try again. You managed to call the main event quote, the most important world title match in the history of professional wrestling. How would you describe it today? Tony, just another turd for the gold title. Thank you. 
Uh, first matchup, we've got Ray Mysterio Jr. pinning Ultimo Dragon in about 11 and a half minutes. They uh, managed to go ahead and get over the Cruiserweight title here, at least to me. I thought this was a phenomenal match. Meltzer agreed. It got three and three-quarter stars. Dragon is billed as the ultimate dragon here, and the only way the fans in the crowd know that Ultimo is the heel is that Sonny Ono was with him. Um, the fans chant USA during this match, which makes total fucking sense. Uh, so kudos yeah. to Sturgis. Shout out to you guys. You the best. Uh, and then it, I thought it was an awesome match. If you're into this type of wrestling, and I know you've been critical of this in the past, Tony, I thought this had all the high spots you'd hope for. And it's worth mentioning that you guys put this over as being the first match these guys have had against each other. They'd tagged before, but never actually been, you know, in opposite corners and keep in mind, Ray's just 21 here and already considered the human highlight reel. Uh, one spectacular move after another. He hits a hurricane runner for the pin. I loved it. What'd you think of this match, Tony? Watching it back 21 years later. Yeah, I loved it too. And and I know I've I've heaped some shit on luchadors before, but basically, one what I got lost in was luchador six man tag team matches. Right. You know, one on one match is with Ray and and all that he could do was was sensational. Uh, and this came right out of him being thrown into the uh, the uh, as a lawn dart into the side of. Uh, one of the Disney trucks or whatever. Uh, but I, I also think if you watch this match and I watched it, actually I, I ended up watching it and I watched half of it again recently. Uh, Ray of course had a lot of knee injuries, uh, because of all the high flying stuff, crazy stuff that he would do. And I think what you're seeing on this match is, uh, the beginning of maybe his knee, his knee problems. You need to watch it closely, but he, I think the limping around that he was doing during this match was a shoot. Well, he certainly had his fair share and he's still doing his thing now. Um, amazing. It was some fun stuff here on the program. Dusty Rhodes commentary never gets old for me during this match. He called Ray Ray mysterious junior. And yeah. he referred to Sonny Ono as a snake and the rice patty. Yeah. I feel like when anybody else does that, then yeah. it, people are riding in the streets, but when dusty does it, it's just cool. Yeah. He gets Dusty away with fine. Yeah, Dusty could mispronounce anything and say anything that was politically incorrect. And I know what was politically incorrect now is different than today's uh, in 2017. But he could mispronounce anything, and it was funny the way he mispronounced things. Yeah, I mean, anybody else would be taken to the woodshed, but with Dusty, yeah. it's just part of his charm. He just pulls it right. off. Exactly. Uh, speaking of pulling it off, uh, Scott Norton pulled off a victory over Ice Train. Uh, yeah. He won by submission using a Fujiwara armbar. I'd like to point out that Scott Norton and Ice Train were on the pay-per-view. Bobby Eaton and Arn Anderson are not. Uh, Train would come out with his shoulder all taped up from an angle where the giant had beat him up. Uh, th that happened earlier in the show. And Norton worked on the arm the entire match. Meltzer gave it one star. Um, were any of the Nitro girls particularly fond of Ice Train? Uh... You really put me on the spot with this bullshit, don't you? I'm just asking a question. I, I don't know. What did you hear? Did you hear that maybe that ice train was had had sex with Kimberly? <laughs> what? You know, every now and again, I just throw something out there vague, not knowing if you're going to take the bait. And there you did. So since you brought it up, um, ice train has been linked together with Kimberly, but uh -huh. he, he's not exactly alone. In that association, no. Do I have that right? No, Giant was been associated with her too. 
And Eric Bischoff has been associated with her too. That was a rumor back then. Okay. Do you believe that when not one name gets leaked out there, like this guy likes that girl, but it's uh-huh. multiple guys and the husband is there and not yeah. necessarily protesting. Maybe he is protesting. You know, look, I always thought the giant was big enough. If he wanted to get some pussy, what could the husband do? If the, if the woman, well, was- you could have given him a diamond cutter. I mean, everybody <laughs> knows that that's the end. I guess what I'm getting to is one of these critiques is going to get out there that, that I said that ice train was fucking Kimberly. You said that I said that was a rumor back then. Okay. Was there a rumor that DDP not only knew about these indiscretions, but he was okay with it. Yes. And maybe even present. Uh, I didn't hear present as much as I heard. Okay. With it. I guess my question is, do you think that DDP was in the corner doing some stretches and a little self high five action? (laughs) I'm just saying. Okay. I love him. Move on. All right. Let's see. Mean Gene is rocking a denim vest here and we get Jimmy Hart uh, in a promo plugging the hog wild denim vest and t-shirt. Who was buying this shit and whose idea was it to not sell tickets, but to sell denim vests instead. Uh, this was the marketing department wanting to come up with a, a little plug here and no one was buying that shit. No, if you, if you actually have a Hogwild denim vest or t-shirt, please tweet us Please, uh, yeah, at WHW Monday. We would love to see this and I need to know exactly what Goodwill store you got it from. All right. Next up, we've got Medusa pinning bull Nakano goes about five minutes and this is a biker match. So it's bike versus bike. And Nakano attacks Medusa with the nunchucks at the bell. And this gives Dusty a hilarious chance to say nunchucks several times and right. pronounce the town as stir Gus. You got to see this. This is awesome. And this is the match where I noticed that Heenan's impression of Vince McMahon was taken to another level. And in my opinion, probably the first sign of his drinking, he repeatedly says she got her. No, she didn't. Uh, and it got so over the top that you actually had to tell him to stop on the air. Yeah, um, I thought that. Listen, I thought at that point. Uh, again, I'll go back to what I what what I recall happening that day. I didn't realize that Heenan was was getting inebriated until the Steiner match, and then it really hit home with me on the Flair match with Eddie Guerrero. This time, I thought that, and you know, of course, I always told Bobby stop on the air. Gorilla Monsoon said, "Would you stop?" Uh, I, I thought this was funny. I thought this was entertaining. I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get a, I don't think that this was a part of the so-called okay. assumed inebriation. The crowd was almost as confused as Bobby here. Uh, they're chanting <laughs> Harley because they knew Medusa was the baby face because she wrote American while Nakano had a Japanese bike, but the finish of the match was fucked. Nakano throws a suplex and holds it for the pin, but Medusa got a shoulder up. But the referee didn't make a clear distinction and bull stands up like she won. So then Sonny threatens to use the sledgehammer and Medusa does what you're supposed to do when a guy has a sledgehammer and is about to destroy your bike, throw dirt at him. Mm -hmm. Uh, Eventually she takes the sledgehammer and does her best to bash in bulls bike. It's an underwhelming spectacle to say the least, but I don't say that's Medusa's fault. This is probably something that sounded good on paper, but it was a damn miss. Um, or at least that's my point. It's a star and a half. 
uh, in the observer. And, and for what it's worth, I feel like we should mention here that bull and Medusa are super talented and have had great matches, but this gimmick in this match kind of sucks. And this crowd is probably not the right crowd for their work. Is that fair to say, Tony? Yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree wholeheartedly because those two had had some, some great matches together. Uh, I liked though. I mean, again, I go back to God, we're, we're destroying someone's bike here. Uh, and how much is that going to cost us and our budget? But I like seeing Medusa ride that hog into uh, the ring. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) didn't you? I mean, I've never, I've never really uh, driven, uh, a Harley before. But I would have minded me being on the back of the Harley with her. Wait, 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 wait. You would like to ride bitch with Medusa on a bike? Ride what? Well, ride bitch is is street talk for riding in the back of a bike. Oh, is that what it's? Well, then, yes, I would have wanted to ride bitch with Medusa. So you and what you're saying is you and Medusa, you would like to ride the same hog as Medusa. Yeah. Did Medusa ever date Tom Zink? <laughs> I don't know. We, we we need to ask her something. These are the questions we need to know. We see a CompuServe spot here with the Steiners working on laptops. Rick Steiner here is basically what Bruce Pritchard looks like whenever we record a podcast. <laughs> so if you've not seen this, this is phenomenal. You should go look for it. Uh, next up, we've got Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko. These guys go for near 27 minutes. Uh, a couple minutes into the second overtime uh, is when we get the victory from Chris Benoit. Dave wrote, from a technical standpoint, this was as good a match as you'll ever see in the United States. They do a 20-minute uh, time limit draw, and then they announce a five-minute overtime, and the crowd cheers. But then when they do another draw and announce a third overtime, the crowd booed it hard. Eventually, a woman tries to interfere, and Malenko goes after her. This allows Benoit to use a schoolboy holding the tights and the ropes for the pin. Dave would write, in another setting with a different finish, it would have been a match of the year candidate, four and a quarter stars. What do you think, Tony? Is this the best match in front of the worst crowd of the year? Uh, it is the best match on the card by far, and Dave is right here, as good as matches you'll see in the U.S., uh, but it went too long. As you know, I love baseball, but by the 12th inning, I've had enough of it. Sure. Uh, and you can say the same thing about wrestling here. You don't need another overtime. We've seen your spots. You've done great work. You've sold marvelously for each other. You're tremendous workers. Next. Especially with and, this crowd. You know, if this yeah, was an ECW right. crowd or a Ring yeah. of Honor crowd or even an NXT crowd, then they would have been into every minute of it and chanting fight forever. But in front of a bunch of drunk bikers who are vaguely familiar with Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair, probably not the time to do this. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of things that weren't well-timed or thought out, the Harlem Heat were here. Uh, Mm. Booker T has gone on record as saying he believes that they were the only two black folks in the entire county. Um, That's not not true. It was a joke, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure it was a joke. Uh, You you actually, when we... when we panned the crowd, there were some black people on bike on bikes there. This feels like a great time to mention, you know, there's a lot going on in the world right now. And we're about to talk about some silly racism here. And I yeah. realized that that comes off kind of funky because we're a couple of hillbilly rednecks on a wrestling podcast here. Right. 
but obviously, uh, I'm embarrassed by what happened this past weekend in Virginia. I'm sure you've seen some of that, Tony. Well, I'm embarrassed uh, uh, 10 times more than you are because Charlottesville is 30 miles from my hometown. And it's a shame that so much of the nation thinks that because you and I have these accents and like the things we like, that we may be somehow associated with that. I mean, right. it's, it's a horrible scene. It's, it's the worst of everything. And it's embarrassing for America and for the South and for, I don't know, man, I don't know how we got on this, but I just felt like since we're about to talk about Harlem heat and maybe a questionable position that we ought to at least address the, the stupid shit that happened over the weekend and send our condolences to everyone involved. And I mean, I don't know what else to say there. Tony, would you like to say anything? Well, I'd just like to say this, that we are all Americans. Why can't we get along and just enjoy things on, on my personal Facebook feed when, uh, there are recipes and there are funny things that people post, but when they start posting their political diatribe, I have no time for it. No, this, this, let's all just freaking get along because we can, we absolutely can, you know, I can. We can talk about how stupid the protest was and, and all of the, all of the demonstrations and just all the, all of that. But my goodness, when you start mowing people down, that's, yeah. if you have a dumbass opinion, sometimes it's better if you keep it to yourself, but yep. my goodness, when, when we're hurting other people, we've taken it too far. I agree. Um, Harlem heat. We're in danger here in this match in front of Sturgis. Uh, <laughs> Not, not because they're black, but because they're in the ring with the Steiner brothers and the Steiner brothers are suplexing these dudes, like nobody's business. They go nearly 18 minutes. There's all kinds of heat from the crowd. Uh, the Steiners come out to almost no reaction, but when the Harlem heat come out, the crowd decides they're all for the Steiners. And in a big way, the Harlem heat masterfully play into this crowd. The bikers start revving up their engines. And this is the most heated match on the show so far. Um, the, the Steiners are playing into it and throwing tons of suplexes to big reactions. It's a pretty fun match. Uh, Meltzer would write, he got the best heat on the show for all the wrong reasons. I guess those bikers don't like the colored folks. Clearly he's trying to be funny and make a lot of the situation, but, uh, wow, what a match this was. Now the finish is what kind of ruined it for me because both Parker and Sherry threw a powder and they hit a member of each team. And then Parker breaks his cane over Scott and Harlem heat, get the pin. Uh, the crowd starts to throw a lot of stuff at the ring at this screw job finish. And there's been lots of talk that, um, guys were throwing gravel at the Harlem heat, uh, two, two and three quarter stars. Did you remember any sort of feedback or talk or discussion about perceived racism from the crowd or anything like that? Not, no, not at all. Uh, there was, and I, I alluded to this earlier, Conrad, there, there had been rocks being thrown all throughout the night. Right. So I, I don't remember it being more of that thrown during the, uh, the Harlem heat match. Uh, again, you know, there's, there's perceived racism because of bikers. Right. And, and that's probably the wrong thing to do. Well, let me ask you this. Why do you think, um, the, the fans were revving their engines so much in this match more so than the others? You don't believe that's because of that. 
I, I didn't notice that they were revving their, and I, I'm going to, I'm not playing stupid here. I didn't notice. I, I thought they revved their engines all night. Well, it felt like it was bigger here okay. in the early part of the match. And maybe that's right. just my opinion. Let me just yeah. ask this a different way. Do you remember seeing racism in wrestling? Not like funny angles. Not like when you sent Harlem heat out in chains. We've talked about that before and how ridiculous it was. And nobody was thinking about it and blah, blah, blah. But I mean, from fans, like, was there ever a situation where you remember seeing it from the fan side and thinking, oh shit, we got to get this under control. Uh, I fans would always say unkind things to wrestlers, whether they were white or black. And, sure. I, and I heard fans, you know, say very, uh, racial things to wrestlers before. Um, but not to the point to where I thought there'd be a riot or anything like that. Right. Right. Not to an unsafe level, just a disrespectful piece of shit. Yeah. Just wrestlers being big mouths. I mean, I'm sorry, wrestling fans being big mouth, obnoxious people that they can be at times. Sure. And you know, that's hell. That's not only in, in wrestling now that's in all sports. Right. My goodness. You know, and we are both big fans of college football. Oh, and gosh, I work yeah. in college football and you're a big Alabama fan, but do you know that there is nothing, nothing that comes close to an obnoxious college football fan? Nothing. No, there's no, no, uh, obnoxious baseball fans, obnoxious, uh, basketball fans, obnoxious NASCAR fans. Nothing comes close to obnoxious college football fans. And I don't, I don't know why that is because we're talking about kids who are not paid being played as playing a sport. Right. And I don't want to get off on a tangent here, but it's just, uh, of all the stuff that I've covered throughout my years, nothing is as brutal as what you hear. Uh, and a lot of it comes from the students themselves too. Sure. But, uh, yeah, I just, anyway, well, let's, we Hey, let's just try getting along. How's that? I agree. And let's right. keep our violence to, uh, pro wrestling. Yeah. You know, hey, well, I will say for this match, one of my favorite moments of the entire night was when Sherry was saying something and Rick Steiner said, shut up, bitch. And you could hear pretty clearly. And it was funny. And the fans really reacted to it. It was funny. It was Mike. Yeah. Well, it got a reaction. Uh, the Steiners have just signed the new deal here. Do you remember hearing that they were considering their options and were, was there ever any sort of fear that they may have left? Yeah, I, there was a big fear that they were going to leave. Next, there's any question. Next up, we have a cutaway package of the WCW stars riding into Sturgis as a big group, both baby faces and heels together. And they're stopping along the way to sign autographs. Uh, and there's tons of footage of Bischoff on his bike here. Does this start to feel like a vanity project at this point to you? No, it does not. It feels like uh, producers sticking those nose, nose up Eric's ass. Sure. Project. That's what it feels like. Next up, we've it, got, it was way too long and I should have been on the back riding bitch for Medusa from the mall of America. I feel like that needs to be a t-shirt. It just yeah. does. Speaking of t-shirts, you can check out all the fine offerings over at pro wrestling forward slash WHW. And we've got some really slick ones right now. We've got the hard to beat shirt and my new favorite. It's an airbrush turd. It's Tony and Tom. What happened when? <laughs> If you're familiar with the old Redneck Riviera beach trips, maybe you went to Spring Break 99 down at PCB. Well, it gets you some of this Tony and Tom airbrush love. Of course, the hottest shirt over there right now, Damn, I'm Good. 
I've been blown up by Bill's Glass Bottom Boat Ride Tours this summer. Tons of shirts out there for that. Uh, catch all of this right now at ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash WHW. And uh, when you call Tony Schiavone, uh, he's actually, actually, I guess Tony Schiavone is going to call you. Uh, yeah. You can do what Tony and I have been doing for the last week. Uh, behind the scenes, Tony has called me and I would miss him. He'd leave me a voicemail and I would do the same. I'd have to leave him a voicemail. What did those voicemails sound like over the last week, Tony? Beep. Tommy Young. <laughs> Beep. This is the barbarian. Jerk me off, Tommy Young. Call me back, Conrad. Click. There you go. So if you would like to have your own Tommy Young exchange with Tony Schiavone, it's simple. Go over to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash WHW. Pick up a shirt. You'll be yeah, glad you I did. Need to, I need to say something here because I knew you wouldn't say it. I knew because I, I know how you are, but there's a brand new shirt you got to check out. Okay. It's called the Podfather shirt. Okay. The Podfather. As in Godfather, the Podfather, and my likeness is not on the shirt. <laughs> One of the two of us has their likeness on that shirt. It is a pretty badass shirt. It is a fun shirt. Oh, it's tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. It's not as fun as the airbrush We all shirt. know who the Podfather is. <laughs> we all know who he is. Well, He's the bully among us. Hey, hey, Tony Schiavone. Uh, next up, we've got Ric Flair pinning Eddie Guerrero in about 14 minutes. He retains the U.S. title here. The fans are pretty into Flair. He's probably one of the only guys they're familiar with. Uh, after Guerrero hit the frog splash, he sold it as if his knee had gone out. Flair put on the figure four, and woman holds on for added leverage, and Guerrero passes out from the pain. Three and a half stars. Typical Flair match, but a really good showing from Eddie Guerrero. I'm sure Flair's probably not tickled to be in the U.S. title match, but it really gives a lot of rub to Eddie Guerrero in a loss here. It legitimizes him to go and have this quality of a match with Ric Flair in front of an audience that at that point may not have been very aware of the superstar caliber that Eddie Guerrero possessed. Would you agree with that? I would agree with all that. Absolutely. Uh, this was another Bobby Heenan giveaway here in this match for me. It, Bobby said something like, Ric Flair is mentally sharper than Eddie. And there was like a long pregnant pause. And then he says, Guerrero. 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 Yeah. He sounded like Foster Brooks here saying Guerrero. And if you'll, if you'll listen to it after he said that you heard, you heard dream go. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So at least somebody was listening to the commentary besides you. Right. Kevin Nash and Scott Hall are up next and they beat Sting and Lex Luger in about 14 and a half minutes. Meltzer was disappointed in this. He wrote, after all the hype, this match didn't have much heat, wasn't very intense. And the announcers, after building it up so big, um, dropped the ball and making it seem important. Of course we did. Sting was in most of the way taking a pounding, but it really wasn't that good. Finally, he made the hot tag. Uh, Sting had Nash and the Scorpion on the floor while Luger put Hall up in the rack. Hall's legs knocked down Nick Patrick, who clumsily fell, clipping Luger's knee, and Hall fell on top while Patrick fast-counted him. The idea for the finish was clever, but the execution of it looked terrible. Uh, Star and a half. What'd you think? I thought it had decent heat. I liked it a lot better than Dave Meltzer did. Yeah, I did too. And uh, Meltzer was, was, uh, was wrong when he said Nick Patrick, who clumsily fell. Nick Patrick's was... 
actually try to take him out. Yeah. Because he was turning heel here. Right. So he didn't clumsily fall and inadvertently take him out. So he missed that one. Huh? He missed it. And you got to think about too, you know, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash are part of the NWO. The talk of the wrestling business at that point, Sting and Lex Luger are the stalwarts of WCW. They've been there from seemingly the beginning. And this feels like a really big time match. So a star and a half, I thought was kind of low. Maybe it didn't have all the technical stuff that Meltzer enjoys, but as far as just telling a story and the heat, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I do too. And it probably would have gotten better stars had the announcers not dropped the ball. Well, one of them was drunk. One of them called Ray mysterious. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, and, and then there's you, you know, <laughs> Uh, it came out around this time that Horace Boulder, the nephew of Hulk Hogan had actually signed a $125,000 deal that's annually with no plans of being used. And Lanny Poffo had a similar deal as a favor to Randy Savage. Uh, and on this hog wild show, we see Ed Leslie, the former Brutus, the fucking barber beefcake, make his last appearance for several months. Tony, all three of these guys are on buddy deals being paid for nothing, aren't they? Of course they, of course they are. But when you think about, we piss away all this money for a helicopter and pyro and to destroy limousines and destroy a, uh, a, uh, Japanese uh, motorcycle. Why not give it to some people where they can make a living for themselves? Well, if oh, you're going to piss away, mo- listen, if you're going to piss away money, give it to people. Oh, I like that idea. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have a problem with it. I never did. I never did have a problem with helping out brothers or buddies or things like never did like brother, like brother Bruda. I I never did. I look, I I'm the type of guy that doesn't have a problem with, there's a lot of people out there and say, Oh, these athletes, these days, these basketball players, because of the big ESPN contract with the NBA and these baseball players there, you're, you're having, uh, reserve or uh, utility infielders batting 230 making four million dollars a year so what i never never have said that guy's making too much money right i'm always for people making more money and there are people out there who are going to pay it go get it it's my feeling well speaking of making money first time mortgage can save you some money and we can do it right now with a quick 10 minute phone call to 888-425-0105 maybe you'd like to skip a couple of house payments we can help you do that it's your single biggest bill and you won't make another payment until november 1st that's right no payment in september or in october and you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this just 10 minutes on the phone with us right now at 888-425-0105 or check us out online at 1fmc.com and MLS number 65084 equal housing lender uh hulk hogan pins the giant to regain the wcw title in about 15 minutes and these aren't wrestling fans so they're cheering hogan like the baby face he is and uh, Meltzer had a little bit of an issue here with hogan doing this of course he wrote that hogan looked old his offense was awful And as a heel, he doesn't bump specifically. He wrote giant did the Hogan Superman comeback in one of the campiest spots ever in a wrestling match. It was like watching the worst movie ever made or the worst wrestling match. The campiest part of all was giant doing the Hogan foot to the face and missing it by a foot. Eventually Scott Hall and Kevin Nash interfere. Hogan hits the giant with the uh, belt in the head and gets the pin. Uh, the whole thing gets a negative half star. From Dave Meltzer. What'd you think? Well, 
it wasn't a good match, but we know what Meltzer thinks about Hogan, so he's not going to like anything that Hogan does. So I take that with a grain of salt. Uh, I the match wasn't that good. The 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 phony, you know, the spot to where he did the Hogan point and hulking up and leg drop and all that. You know, I I didn't have a problem with that that much. Uh, I, I thought the visual of them spray painting the NWO belt was a kind of a lasting impression that what I kind of took away from it more than anything else. You know, again, not all, not all world title matches have to be this great five-star match to be effective right. and get the, get the story across. And the story across was now the NWO had the big gold belt and what were they going to do with it? They were going to deface it. The big gold belt, the one that stood the test of time, so to speak. So, yeah. So let's talk about that. Uh, after the match, um, they invite, uh, the booty man down to the ring or the booty man comes down with two other guys holding a big birthday cake for Hulk Hogan, who turned 43 the next day. And he puts over his relationship with Hogan for 20 some odd years and how much he's meant to him and that he's been like a brother. Of course, we know where this is going. Hogan gives him the Godfather kiss, uh, and then beats him down with the help of Kevin Nash. And they do this to show Ric Flair that if Hogan will do this to his best friend, imagine what he will do to Ric Flair at the clash of the champions and Hogan on pay-per-view is really working hard to promote the TBS special, which to me leads, you know, more credence to lends more credence to my theory that that was a critical show for Hogan to pop a rating in order to get a next, his next big contract from Turner. Yeah, that's, that's right on. Um, of course, after the beatdown. Kevin Nash holds up the big gold belt while Hogan spray paints the letters NWO on it. Uh, and this is the really iconic big gold belt that Flair debuted in like 86. So at this point, it's been around for more than a decade. It's been the symbol of WCW. And these three guys just stand in the ring and deface it. And no one runs out to defend WCW, which comes off kind of hokey to me. What say you? Uh, I thought that there should have been, if they're defacing the gold belt and they are rubbing, if the NWO has taken over the world title and they're rubbing WCW's face into it, there should have been some sort of attempted run in. Right. Didn't have to be success, you know, but at least, and the hall and Nash could have fought them off, but at least there would have been someone coming out and doing something about this gold belt being defaced. And there wasn't. And I thought that was wrong. That was left out of it. I thought it then. And I even thought it more so when I watched it again. Uh, what do you think overall of uh, the angle with the booty man? Because he's here just for a minute. You guys kind of teased that you would find out who the fourth man was. Sean Waltman can't be here. So the booty man's here, but he's here for a cup of coffee and then he's out. Yeah. I, I saw that one coming. I didn't know it was going to happen. But I couldn't you tell when he was walking in that sure. they were going to turn on him? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No doubt. I mean, at that point, it feels a little bit like which one of these is not like the other. You know, you've got two main eventers from the WWF. You've got the biggest star in the history of wrestling. And now you've got Brutus the fucking barber beefcake. This time he's carrying a cake, at least, you know, instead of just being Hogan's weed carrier, he's, he's carrying his cake. What? Okay. I just want to make sure that people know that it was the, the pod father that talked about Hogan's weed, not me. Um, I don't think that's that big a deal, brother. It's legal now. All right. 
Uh, Nitro in Casper the next night drew 6,408 fans. 4,200 of those paid 51,930, which is kind of amazing in a market that small. Really look up Casper, Wyoming. Not a big place. WCW nope. won the ratings battle in a big way that day, too, doing a 3.3 rating. Raw only did a 2.0, and that was probably the biggest margin of victory to date. So overall, uh, even though the pay-per-view buys may have been down, maybe that was because of the blackout and there wasn't a gate because we didn't sell tickets. Uh, this has to be considered a success because it was probably a, pay, a profitable event because Hogan's not on his usual uh, pay split and it popped a big rating and you guys smashed raw the next day. So overall, it's got to be a success, right, Tony? Sure. It was in the, it was in the midst of the big run by the NWO. NWO was cool. It was hip. And who was the fourth man going to be? And that all played into that rating point. On a scale of one to 10, how would you rate this show, Tony? And what do you remember the most from it? Uh, I rate the show again. We know we, I said thumbs in the middle. So I'd rate it about a five. What I remember more about the show was that I hadn't been out there personally and, and got a chance to go to uh, Mount Rushmore and go to Deadwood and uh, go out into the Black Hills and see part of the country I'd never seen before. All, uh, we all, uh, flew into Grand Rapids, South Dakota, and I'll never forget. I just happened to be on the same flight with, uh, and I had my own rental car at this time. Uh, I happened to be on the same flight with uh, Kevin Nash and this one kid was there at the, uh, and this was back where you could, you could go to the gate before security was like it is today. Right. And there was a bunch of fans at the gate waiting on us. And I guess they had been waiting on flights all day. And this one kid who was obviously big into wrestling and was excited to see Kevin Nash. He said, uh, Kevin, there's a, there's a concert tonight in Sturgis. Uh, I'm sure you're going to go to that. Aren't you? Kevin said, no, man. He said, I'm just going to find a bottle of Jergens and go watch Spectrovision tonight. And which I laughed at <laughs> that. And that was, that was classic Kevin Nash right there. I mean, he said that with a straight face and just kept right on walking, man. So that's, isn't it crazy that I would remember that something like that? Uh, but, uh, I enjoyed my time out there because we got to, because Sunday was because of the Saturday night event and Sunday was an off day. Uh, we got to drive, I got to drive through Wyoming I got to drive and, and I drove from Sturgis to Denver or Sturgis to Casper. And those were long rides. And, uh, I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, so personally it was an enjoyable show for me even though probably wasn't as well received as some other shows. Well, let's go ahead and uh, invite you to join us in our conversations. We encourage you to ask us questions on our Facebook page this week. You can participate. All you've got to do is like us on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash WHW Monday. Uh, Tony, I want to wrap it up. So let's just do a few questions here. Kind of rapid fire. Are you cool with that? I'm cool. Let's go ahead. Russell wants to know, did Lois pick out your tattoo for this show? No, I had to, I had to, uh, get rid of it before I got, I went home or she would have chewed my ass out, man. So how'd you do that? Did you rub one out? <laughs> no. The tattoo, you rubbed it out. Yeah. With, with alcohol. Like Bobby Heenan's alcohol. No rubbing alcohol. <laughs> uh, Jonathan wants to know how many shirts did dusty own that had sleeves? That's a good question. Uh, you know what? That is a good question. It wasn't many. He wore shirts without sleeves, uh, during the summertime and wore his cowboy type, uh, denim shirts during the wintertime. Angela Zimmerman wants to know, 
this is totally lame to ask, but did they have mm. anything set up at the desks to keep you guys cool? Fans, portable air conditioners, et cetera. No, they never did. And that as that is through the end, that is throughout time. I can remember back in the old Crockett days working the old Dorton arena where we were so hot and sweating that we, we, it was just miserable. We couldn't stand it, but they never gave us a fan or anything like that. So, um, I guess maybe, you know, I guess maybe I should have spoken up Conrad as much as I should have spoken up about Heenan and the, the, the way he was that night, maybe I should have spoken up. Andrew wants to know, was the name of the show changed from hog wild to road wild because Harley Davidson was getting wind of the term hog being used and unhappy. Yes. That, that it was, it was a, uh, a legal thing and, uh, true to form Turner broadcasting. When they found out that somebody was going to sue him or unhappy, they would back down. Uh, next up we've got, uh, and this is kind of a fun one. Oh boy. <laughs> what? I love that you immediately <laughs> just go, oh boy. Well, when you say it's kind of a fun one, sometimes what you think is fun and what I think is fun are two different things. Was Travis, uh, Travis Fowler wants to know, was Klondike bill in biker girl heaven? Uh, oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, Sturgis was a freak show and there were, there were really some, I'm not going to say repulsive looking women, but there were some women who shouldn't be in thongs in leather thongs. Uh, and Bill loved every bit of that, every bit of that, the, uh, the more repulsive the women looked, the better Bill liked it. And the only thing Bill had to do was look at me and rub that old beard. And I knew what he was thinking. That's amazing. Uh, Tom wants to know, uh, I'm surprised you could hear anything with those bikes revving. Whose bright idea was this? What the rev the bikes or to have it. It felt like you guys played into revving the bikes. Did that, was that difficult for you? Yeah, that was difficult. You don't tell you what else was difficult for me. The, the damn helicopter over the head, overhead drowned out a lot of the stuff too. All right. One last one, Tony. And this is last, but certainly not least. Uh, a lot of fans want to know, do you still have your road, your hog wild 96 outfit? I still have the hat. Can we get you to tweet a picture of the hat? I'll, I'll, yes, I'll look for it and, and try to find it. Absolutely, I will. I'll, I'll still have that leather hat somewhere. Well, we're going to have a great time next week. And next week, we're doing something a little different uh, because I'm going to be traveling to New York. We will not be able to tape next weekend. So instead, uh, we're going to put the, sh- uh, the show with the can early in the week, which means there's no time for a poll. So what we're going to do instead is we're going to honor the great Arn Anderson. Arn Anderson retired from professional wrestling in August of 1997, August 25th, in fact. And we're going to give you that show just a few days early. So August 21st, you'll be able to tune in here. That's next Monday, right here on MLWRadio.com. And hear Tony Schiavone talk about his great friend, Arn Anderson. What might we be covering next week, Tony? Arn Anderson made a very special announcement about my family to the boys years ago. And surprised me with the announcement i'll tell you that story i'll tell you how i got to be very good friends with arn and how our friendship continues today and i'll also rip on the fact that the wwe this just past week had him uh look for catering and pick up a few donuts in one of their their shittiest vignettes done yet uh which really pissed me off to be honest with you 
because here's this great Arn Anderson, the enforcer, and they portrayed him to be a just a, a fat ass has been in that uh, in that vignette. You know what I'm talking about? No, I missed it, but now you've piqued my curiosity. I want to go watch it, and uh, it, was, sure. it was it was funny because Arn Anderson's a funny guy, and maybe one of the funniest guys ever, and he made it work. But maybe I'm too sensitive to stuff like this. But I just thought it. I don't know. I would, anyway, I'm going to have a lot of fun with the Arn Anderson stories. Uh, Arn Anderson and Aaron and Lois and, and I all went out to dinner a number of times and hung out together. Uh, just one of the, the more likable, personable people behind the stage, behind the scenes. And anybody who's ever, well, ever hung out with him, and Bruce Pritchard will verify this too, no one can make you laugh like Arn Anderson. No one. Well, and we're going to try to make you laugh next week, but it feels like right now, Tony, uh, it's about that time. It is about that time, Conrad. Thank you very much. And time for a bonus match here at Hogwild 2017. And it's going to be a bitch on the back of the bike match. And here comes, well, I'm going to hop on the back of the bike here with Medusa to make sure that Bobby Heenan doesn't hop on. Well, Bobby just fell down, so he won't be hopping on the back of the bike. And I'm going to hop on the back of the bike. And now, making their way to the ring, here's Bull Nakano. And, oh, my God, it's Conrad Thompson on the back of the bike. He is Bull Nakano's bitch. And in the ring, the referee coming out of retirement is Tommy Young. There's a second referee, and he's on the floor. Bull hits the barbarian. The barbarian is climbing to the ring. He is talking to Tommy Young. The bitch on the back of the bike. Oh, oh my God. It's Conrad Thompson, and we're out of time on What Happened When, Monday on the MLW Radio Network, bitch. Tommy Young, you come here, you check me off. Self-high five. The Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. Actor Rain Wilson. The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen. Listen.